Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Leslie. Welcome to Quince. A little sweet. A little tart. And a little unexpected. Today is Monday, October the 12th, 2015. Columbus Day. Or Indigenous Peoples Day. Oh, you're right. Well, what is our word today, Leslie? Our word of the day is fiber. Oh, I bet you came up with that one. No, actually I didn't. One of our lawyer lis loyal listeners, Bobby Ash, came up with that when we were discussing something else, and we thought that was a wonderful idea, because I'm all about fiber. And I believe Bobby is, too. Absolutely. She's a crocheter's queen. For sure, I think, and uh, we really, really appreciate her and her support, along with everybody else's. We have some great people that have been helping us out lately, and so fiber. Oh, that, I'll let you take over. Okay, there are two kinds of fibers, of, well, I guess there's lots of fibers, uh, but the ones that we're basically interested in are the fibers that we use to make all of our wonderful creations around here, and we have spinners that use fiber, and we have felters that use fiber, and uh, the Reynolds Homestead has a pretty good uh, group of weavers that use fiber. Wonderful group, Wonderful yes. group of people that use fiber, and then of course my knitters and crocheters here use fiber as well. And you could stretch it a little bit, the quilters also use fiber, but it's a little bit different because they use it, the fiber made up into cloth. And what I'm mainly concerned with is the fiber that we use to spin. Now, um, I have a lot of people come in. This, this is one of my bugbears as a, a um, yarn seller. People come in and they say, ooh, it's wool, it's itchy. Yes. Because that's what they're used to. Okay, so tell us why we shouldn't say that. Well, commercial wool can be itchy because commercial wool can be over-processed. The processing of wool in a commercial um, establishment uses a lot of harsh chemicals. They stretch the fibers and break them. So what's itching you, if you put it up against your neck, a scarf made from a commercial fiber or a tote made from a commercial wool, it's all those little broken pieces that were uh, mangled by the chemicals and the over-processing. Is that right? That's what's happening. So when you use fibers, uh, when we do fibers, here we generally hand process, or at the most we use a local mill, who are very gentle because we're all super critical and, and jump on them if they don't do it perfect. And um, so we use, we have fibers that have not been chemically processed. And we have fibers that have been gently processed by hand or by a very small mill, which is actually basically done by hand. So I have some um, samples for Beth to feel. I wish you could all feel them. They certainly so, look soft. <laughs> Ooh, well, I just want to sink into well, that. Well, actually, not every fiber is, not every wool is soft. Not every wool is meant to be soft. Because if you want to make socks, you want something that will be sturdy and will hold up. And most people's feet, some people's feet are sensitive, but most people's feet and hands aren't particularly sensitive uh, to um, roughness. And so um, this particular wall 
It's been processed by hand, but it's not nearly as soft. But that would feel good on yeah. my feet. It would feel good on your feet. It would be nice and warm. Um, it's a Romney. Uh, is a breed of sheep that's from England, uh, an old breed of sheep. Um, and so it's a long wool that's not particularly soft, but it's good and sturdy. So if you were to uh, spin that up, you could make any kind of outerwear. Nice. Or socks. Romney as in R-O-M. R-O-M-N-E-Y. Uh-huh, like yes. a town in West Virginia. Yeah, actually it is. And there was a, one of my very favorite Walt Disney things was the Scarecrow of Romney Marsh. Do you remember that? Oh, I hadn't thought of that in years. Yes, I loved that when I was young. I haven't seen it in years either. Okay, now we're going to go to Pretty Soft. This is Blue Face Leicester. I think this is, and some people say Leicester, so I'm not sure exactly how do you how spell it. L E I C E S T E R is another British breed. Um, well, Leicester is a place in Britain anyway. <laughs> I didn't look up all these things like I should have. This is a fairly soft. Oh, I like that yeah, one. Yeah, it, it is. I love Blue Face Leicester because I like the drapiness and the softness, and I like blending it with things. And it has, um, I think it has enough um, strength that maybe I would add a little bit of nylon or something to make socks, mm. or but it'd be wonderful for anything around your neck. Oh, yes. Yeah. So uh, this is a, uh, a blend of light and dark. I'll put pictures of these. And then this one is the Cadillac of wools. That's beautiful. Yes, this is a Merino. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people have heard of Merino because back in the day they used to make Merino coats and, oh. and all kinds of things. That's It's a very, very soft wool. It looks like it's a tad bit expensive, too. Well, it's a little bit more expensive. Yeah, that's but true. That is yeah, but, wonderful. You know, working with the Cadillac of mm -hmm. <laughs> wools, yeah, I, I, I use that a lot for blending as well. Uh, I love to blend it with my Angora. Um, I tend to prefer a Merino that's locally raised because it has a bit more character to me than a commercial Merino. So uh, when I can, I get a local producer. So where did this come from? That's a commercial. Sorry. Yes. Ah, well, it's very. I'd like a blanket made out of yeah, this. Yes. Yes. It's very, very soft. But in general, when I'm working with my Angora rabbit hair, I tend to try to get somebody local. There's, uh, there was a producer in Tazewell I used to get a lot from, and I need to get another producer. Now this is my Angora rabbit hair oh. blended with Corydale, which is another soft type of fleece. Oh my goodness, that feels can, like feathers. You can hardly feel it's even there. I had this um, blended quite some time ago. I get the fleece from uh, Rising Meadow Farm in Liberty, North Carolina. That is, that feels like freshly cut hair. Yeah, yeah, it's just really, really soft, really, mm. really fun. So and what would you do with that? Oh, you could do any kind of riding up against your neck, soft thing, mm. yeah, scarves, um, uh, hats, you know, it would probably be better in, um, in a scarf. That is beautiful. Yes, 
So I'm just finishing spinning this up. And I'll have some yarn available to ply pretty soon of that. Now how much does that cost? Uh, I usually charge 18 cents a yard for that um, mm. in the yarn. Uh, I can't remember how much I charged for the t um, for the wool. I think it was $6 a, um, probably $6 an ounce. So how does that compare with, say, the Merino? It's, it's more expensive. Yeah, yeah, the Merino is, um, well, the um, commercial Merino is $15 for four ounces. Mm -hmm. so, so it's a little bit less. And I also have some um, yarn that, uh, this isn't locally produced, but a lot of people love it. It's bamboo. This like real bamboo? Bamboo. It's a process. It's not a particularly great process because it's um, kind of broken down and turned into um, fiber uh, that you can spin from a, from the plant. Really? There are, yeah, there are a lot of steps to do that. And these are commercially done. Uh, if you're working with flax, uh, people that have worked with flax and know how you have to go through breaking, rotting it and breaking it and then pulling the fibers out and combing them and doing all sorts of stuff. And the bamboo is similar. So are there people who do this that you know? No, no, there are not people that do, do they this. Yeah, that, do that's it. a spinner that I know, but she bought, she, she did the dyeing. It's beautiful. Yeah, and that's the advantage to bamboo. It's similar to silk in that it takes colors wonderfully well. Do they do it, say, more in the Philippines or somewhere where there's a lot of bamboo? China and Philippines. China. Yeah, probably. I'll be darned. Yep. So that's, so that's really, that, uh, bamboo and silk are the only things we, uh, and cotton are the only things we spin that we don't actually produce right here within 100 miles of the shop. So, and then this is some merino already spun. And this is a better merino than that merino. Can you tell the difference? No, but <laughs> <laughs> this one feels softer, yeah. but this is very lovely. Yeah, but th this has got a really nice drape. My goodness. Yeah. This could be an expensive um, undertaking. Yeah, it is. But you have to think about when, um, when you're knitting. Uh, when you're crocheting or when you're doing things like this, don't think about it as a, um, think about it as a recreation. Okay. How, how much do you spend, say, to go to the movies? For an, How much does a night at the movies cost the average person? Right. Once you get your popcorn and Coca-Cola, yeah. probably $15, $18. Right. Uh, so, and that lasts an hour and a half for $15 and then for $24 you can knit for hours, days. Uh, and have a scarf or and something And you'll have something wonderful at the end of it. Very good. So that, okay. that's the way you have to think about it. So I, I tell people not to think, take it out of their clothing budget, take it out of their recreation budget. I think you're probably right. Right. <laughs> Sort of like I spend money on books. Exactly. I think we all have something. Uh, at one point, I uh, said that I would probably spend my last dollar for a book or yarn rather than for food. Oh, that's a tough one. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but collectors are like that, you know. Mm -hmm. I'd probably buy a old postcard that yeah, I've been exactly. searching the world for. And exactly. there it would be. Or good vanilla ice cream. And yep. I'd go for the postcard every time. Every no time. Doubt. Yep. <laughs> And alpaca is another popular fiber around here. It's so popular, in fact, I don't have anything for you to feel of because I've sold out for this year. Oh, that's nice. Yes, and but alpaca is extremely, it's a drapey fiber. It resists dirt. So if you make something, you can wear it over and over again. It, does, it kind of doesn't get dirty and it doesn't hold um, oils, I guess. Uh, it's um, not water repellent, but it dries really, really quickly. So every fiber has a different, um, different properties. So if you really want, you know, if you want to make a certain thing, you think about the fiber that you're using. And of course, people knew that all, you know, back in the old oh, yeah, days. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and people would tend to choose their sheep for partly because of the breeds that did well in the area that they um, were keeping them of course and then but the other part was for the different items that they would make very interesting yep so so I could talk about fiber all day well and I'm sure we have many many listeners that <laughs> wish that you would do that yeah. but guess what Okay, you have a different kind of fiber. I'm going to talk about a little bit about a food fiber just because I'm going to mention one of my favorite books on foods. Okay. And it's called The Art of Eating by M.F.K. Fisher. And she was a food writer back mainly all the 30s, the 40s. She traveled the world and... This is just an amazing book about recipes and vignettes from around World War One, actually. Wow. Yes. But she, I, and the only reason I'm mentioning it is that I think anyone, even if you're not into reading recipe books or anything on cooking, which is not one of my favorite things either, but I read this book and just was very satisfied. All right. And it, so it's fun to actually read the oh, book. She has things like How to Cook a Wolf is <laughs> one of her chapters, the titles. I mean, there, there, it, it is really very uh, love and death among the mollusks. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. So she has great titles and... Uh, I, I don't know. She's just one of my favorite. We did this as a book uh, review back at the Reynolds Homestead probably about 10 years ago. Wow. And it opened my eyes to just a different kind of book. Yeah. So that's my little bit of fiber. That's your bit in of fiber. There. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so I guess we could go on to... Oh, um, I did want to talk a little bit about felting and spinning and things like that. There are... Um, about what? Felting, oh, felting. and spinning. Um, spinning, uh, you can use a spindle or a whorl. So spinning is an ancient, ancient art. There have been um, 
bone fibers actually found that are 30 to 45,000 years old. How? 30 to 45,000 years old. My They've goodness. actually found fibers with twists in them. And the really interesting thing to me about them is they were dyed. Oh, so using things like berries. And yeah, so somebody, was, they wanted things pretty, even way back then. The, uh, they figured that it was plant fibers, and probably it was for a basket or something to carry things, um, or uh, maybe a net bag. Or a fishnet. Uh, yeah, something along those lines. So I always say, I do a little presentation on um, spinning and all of that, and I always say, I always picture that there's a woman sitting by the creek bank and she's watching the children play and she picks up this bunch of rotted stuff just you know messing around with it and fiddling with it and then she realizes she's made a string oh. and then it occurs to her that string could be how useful so as time went on gradually somebody figured out that you could actually spin the fiber against your leg and twist it up and make something long enough to be useful. Then somebody got the bright idea of using a stick to um, help with the spinning and to store it. Um, then somebody put a weight on the stick to make it easier and faster, and that's called a spindle. Ah. And then later, Somebody, uh, probably in India, got the bright idea of putting a wheel, and it looked nothing like the wheel we use now, with that spindle to make the process even faster. And then, um, after many, many years, uh, somebody invented the spinning wheel um, that had the, a big wheel and the little spinning wheel that we call a walking wheel, or the, the little spindle and the big wheel that we call a walking wheel. And that went on for a long time. And then in about 15, 1600s, somebody invented the fire, which made it even faster and made it easier to spin plant fibers. Because you couldn't, it's, you couldn't really spin plant fibers on the walking wheel. They would break? They, yeah, they just don't hold together very well to do that. You have to keep them wet and you need two hands. Um, so there has not been an improvement on the spinning wheel since the 1600s. Is, is there any sort of electrical spinning wheel? Yeah, yeah. as time went on, uh, there's a spinning jenny was probably the next thing that came along. And now, of course, your, your um, clothes are made with spun fibers. That spindle is still in there, in that big machine. So um, when I'm telling this with kids, I tell the kids, where's the spindle when I'm showing them pictures? Where's that stick? Because that stick is still there. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah, and that's uh, the spinning presentation. And then felting is basically making cloth out of fiber. You take, um, you take the fiber and you wet it and you rub it and you felt it. So, if you just had some of this merino uh -huh. wool here, you would wet it and rub it. Wet it and rub it. And Sounds like a lot of work. It is a lot of work. But you can do so, You can actually make a garment faster by felting than you can by knitting. 
So that's why a lot of, and there's a lot of wonderful techniques to felting that people are doing now. And then they do needle felting, and it's just some amazing work that people are doing, even in Patrick County. Oh, yes, yeah, I have seen some. Mm -hmm, I have. Is that relatively new? Um, it's new to me. Uh, I've only been hearing about felting for about 10 years. Now, I imagine that people were doing it before that. But I, I really have just been, it's been pretty recent in my experience. Yeah. And the things that people are doing are just marvelous. Well, what about when people talk about felt? You know, like when you were in Sunday school when you were yeah, a little kid yeah, and yeah, you that's had felt. That was. Yeah, is it, that how it was thing. done? Yeah, that's the oh. same thing. Of course, they were, they're using artificial, I guess those are artificial fibers. I don't really know. Hmm. That colorful stuff. Right. You know. You'd have the board and you'd press on yeah, uh, exactly. little figures. Yeah, exactly. Yep, I remember doing that. <laughs> yes. Long yeah. time ago. Yeah, felting. Well, actually, my great, 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 whatever grandpa was a fuller. What's a fuller? A fuller is the person that takes the um, knitted or woven item and shrinks it. And why would you do that? To add strength. Oh. Uh, to add. Um, uh, to make it so that you could actually um, carry things in it if you were making a bag. So um, a lot of people say they're felting their knitted item. They're really fulling it. Fulling. Uh -huh. How do you spell that? F-U-L-L-I-N-G. Oh. So uh, Grandpa Lawrence was a fuller. He put that in on his uh, paperwork somewhere when he was living in Pennsylvania. That is totally new to me. Yep. <laughs> All right, so I think we should go to a little suite. A little suite. That's our projects that we're doing right now. And what project are you working on? Well, I had an astronomical catastrophic fail in uh, my knitting with the Kathleen sweater. No! It was huge on her. Oh my goodness, yes. might fit me. It might, except I would have to spin and dye all that stuff again, so I can't let you have it. But um, yeah, we made it by a shirt that she said fitted her properly. And when I got done, uh, the back was about an inch bigger than the shirt. The front is exactly the same size as the shirt, but when she puts it on, it swallows her. Oh, no. So that was not the way to make a sweater. So I will tell you right now that this is not the proper way to make a sweater. She hadn't lost weight or no, anything. No, no, she's the same as she always was. And the shirt still fits her. Well, we haven't tried the shirt back on her, but apparently, and I was a little worried about it, a shirt is not the same as a sweater. You know, this, this was a shirt that she wore over other clothes. But it's just not shaped the same as a sweater. And so I think part of the problem is that it's wider at the bottom than the top. The sweater is. And then the, um, I'm not sure what happened to the fronts, but the thing just engulfs her. So I got to start all over. <laughs> but you can use the same Yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going I'm to visit the frog pond. That's what we say. We're going to uh, frog it. Because it's rip it, rip it. Ah! Oh. 
Mm. So anyway, but I did have a success this week. Uh, my friend Chris asked me to make, she did me numerous favors over the years, and so um, she let me use her yarn. Um, it's a commercial merino that she dyed to make her a set of my lily mitts. This is my design. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, and uh, she has tiny little hands, so I did it in a fingering weight yarn, which is what she wanted done. And the design was actually for a sport weight, so it generally turns out a little bigger than that. Well, we will definitely have to show a... Yeah, we'll have some pictures. Take a picture of those but for our listeners. Yeah. And I do have that um, pattern available in the shop. Okay, it's that's important. something you designed and yeah, then you sell it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep, I did that. And, of course, I'm no knitting designer. I basically, I made up a, knit, a mitt pattern a long time ago that I make this plain mitts. And this is a, um, the, the stitch pattern is an Estonian design. Oh, nice. So I just kind of put it in. So I, I wouldn't call myself a designer, but it is original. I couldn't find any other mitts like that anywhere. So, so that's my almost sweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm sorry about this sweat. Yeah, it'll be all right. Yes. You know, that's the one good thing about um, yarn. You can take it apart and start it. Mm. However well, painful it is. <laughs> that's fortitude, right? Right. <laughs> Well, you know, I don't really have any projects going on right at this particular moment. No. It's October. Oh, yeah. And October is a month where between my two jobs, I work, I think it was 70 hours from Sunday to Sunday this Ooh, past yeah. week, and the rest of the month looks to be pretty much the same. Yep. It's just the way it is, so... The house doesn't get cleaned. I don't touch postcards. I do read. And I actually cooked a couple meals this wow, past week. <laughs> well, you come home and you're just starving. So yeah. You make an omelet or something. Yeah, yeah something quick. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it is October. It's beautiful out there right now. And we saw a lot of people. Uh, this past weekend. Absolutely. Yep. And people are picking up pumpkins like crazy. And um, town looks so beautiful. The whole town does, yes, doesn't and, it? Yes, uh, and I go through uh, Poor Farmer's Market. It looks gorgeous. And the uh, Castle's Farm down here looks so pretty. And they had decorations at Janie's and beautiful mums at the mar at the market. Everything just looks so nice. And at Nancy's we have hay bales yeah. with mums and then we have our great big inflatable figures. Yeah. That, so uh, everything's just the whole town just looks really, really pretty. Everybody's gone above and beyond to make things really attractive this year. And yet this is a little bit of the tart. The past several weeks we had Lighting, didn't oh, we? Oh, no, that, that's unexpected. Oh, that's unexpected. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I, think, you I think we might skip tart this time because we talked so much on the fiber. And the only thing I really would have is um, some uh, fiber books, uh, which, 
you know, I don't really have anything ready for that. Anna Zilberg has a new book out. Oh, she does? Yes. This is one of our neighbors here yes. in Meadows of Dan, and she is, what do they call her? The She's like a knitting diva. Queen, yes. Yeah, knitting queen. And I don't remember the name of the book. I just saw it, an announcement um, that it was out um, just last week. And we were supposed to record last week, and my computer died. And I had all my stuff together, and we tried to record again a couple of days ago, and it didn't work. And so my stuff is at the place where we tried to record. <laughs> we worked very hard to get to where we are with right, you yeah, fellas this been, tonight. This has been a rough couple of weeks. <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, Anna does have a new book. Uh, you can find it, I'm sure, under her name. It's Z-I-L-B. O-O-R-G? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yes. And um, I think her publisher is XRX Incorporated. But she I'm has sure. a number of, of books out, doesn't she? Oh, yeah. She? Yeah. She has one called The Magnif Magnificent Mittens, which is just delightful. That was just been reprinted. Uh, she has, I have a um, video that she did here on sock making that is really, really good. And uh, she has one called Fancy Feet. Ooh. And Knitting for Anarchists. <laughs> that Now that sounds more like the Anna yeah, I love. The Anna that you know. Yes. And I, I still have two copies of that here. So if anybody's interested in those, and if you want to drop me a note, if you can't find uh, the book that Anna has out presently, um, I'll find out for you. So that's our little part. So oh. now we have a, oh, you have another book. Oh, we have a little unexpected. So now we can talk about the floods. And that was unexpected. Yes. It's, we've lost part of a road that has never washed out in 90 years that it's been there. Route 50 up, 58 up and down. <laughs> Lover's Leap Ma Mountain. Yeah, we had, um, I think it's 26 to 20, 28 inches of water of rain within 10 days. And if that hurricane had come, we probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because everything, all the trees would have uprooted and it would have been insane. So we were lucky. Uh, unfortunately, South Carolina was not so lucky and got hit pretty hard by flooding and things, but we, you know, compared to what other people had, we did not have a big problem. We did lose a 91-year-old mm -hmm. uh, 1921. Bridge. Yeah, 1921 covered bridge in Woolwine, and that was really devastating for everybody. There was a uh, covered bridge festival. I think it's the Virginia Covered Bridge Festival. In well, Woolwine. there's you buy only was it five public access yeah, covered bridges like in that. Virginia left, and now one is gone. One is totally gone. It just washed away in the flood. And the Enterprise, our local newspaper, said uh, the damage from our floods was several million dollars. Oh yeah, the farmers really got hit hard. Mm -hmm. You know, and so and quite a few houses. Woolwine, the little community of Woolwine, got hit the hardest, I believe. But Floyd had some trouble. Oh yes, over in the hill and um, Meadow Sedan really. I think we have one road with a hole in it. Over by Mayberry Church. Yeah, and then uh, probably some uh, lots of flooded basements. And Belcher Mountain Road. 
Yeah, well, I knew Belcher Mountain Road was gone. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody asked me about going down. I said no. I didn't even have to. You know, if anybody ever gets directed by the GPS and sees Belcher Mountain, turn around. <laughs> even in the summer. That even road. in the summer, because mm -hmm. it is a crazy road. You know, and I was born and raised here. <laughs> Well, I came up squirrel spur a time or two, yeah. and that worked. Yeah, that worked. yeah, yeah. There are other ways to get here, and uh, the parkway, fortunately, stayed open in our area. It they closed parts of it during this event because of the um, danger of trees coming down and mudslides, but they did keep it open from Route Eight to um, Fifty Eight, which um, meant you could go up Route Eight and come back down. You know, but at the time. That you came up Squirrel Spur, you couldn't get to Route 8. No, Because no. the whole area there was flooded. So that was our little adventure. Yes, so we, that was our unexpected. And the other, it wasn't unexpected, but it was quite fun. Um, we had a lady named Sandra Warren got in touch with people in this area about a book she was writing. And it's called, We Bought a World War II Bomber or something similar. <laughs> we both forgot to bring the book. And um, she did a presentation in, uh, on October 1st, which was the anniversary of the day the um, bomber crashed behind Mabry Mill in 1944. And all the um, soldiers, there were four or five, four, four mm -hmm. um, parachuted out and, um, you know, were safe. And then they came and collected it. But everybody around here, all my childhood, people told me about this plane crash. And when um, Ms. Warren uh, uh, contacted people, uh, the people in Patrick County, the down the street, they didn't know that. I know. We <laughs> missed that in our history book. Yeah, I don't know why. How, and I don't know why I didn't think of it, because I was involved in some of those history books. You know, because ever since I was a little kid, we would go to Mabry Mill and go to the restaurant, and my parents would point out the window, that's where the plane crashed. Mm. You know, they would tell us all about it. It landed in um, Mr. Goad's pigsty. Yes, and mm -hmm. not a pig was killed, Not right? a pig was killed. <laughs> and, um, and we're talking a B-17 bomber. Yeah. We're talking yeah, a, a big, big old thing. plane. Yeah. And, and you know what was so exciting and fun about her story? was that plane was bought by high school students in Grand Forks, Michigan. And it wasn't even a rich area of Grand yeah. Forks. And those children raised $75,000 in just a few months. Yeah. And if you think about it, 75000 was worth I don't know, a million dollars. And they raised that money and got to have, you know, Pride of South High printed on the side of the plane. And then it flew away and they never knew what happened to it. No, they and, never knew. Yeah. And so Ms. Warren wrote a wonderful book that everybody needs to read. It's uh, available on Amazon. It's available locally. Um, the um, The Historical Society has it. Yes, we have it at the museum yeah. down in Stewart. Right, and I think maybe Four Farmers Market has it here, if I understood her right. 
And Mabry Mill will have it until the end of October. It's a great read. It I is. Mean, I, I was fascinated all the way through. And wasn't she a good speaker? You know me. But, uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure she was because everybody sat enthralled. I don't hear well, and I didn't get quite close enough. So uh, I missed a lot of it. But I could tell everybody was just right on. And we had a nice crowd, and it yeah, was a it's foggy, the fog. <laughs> the whole foggy, misty evening. But she brought cake. And the cake had a bomber. This was the book launching. Yeah. Her very first book tour. Yeah. The first one. And I just, I sat there absolutely fascinated. Gerald Ford graduated from that high school. Of course, it had been a number of years. Before. Even yeah. before World War um, Two, yeah. but he helped them look up some of the records to find out what happened, and all they knew was that it had um, been disassembled or something. They didn't get the true story. Not until after um, somebody else got interested later. But mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot of great details, and a yes. lot a lot of local people were enthusiastic in helping and telling the stories. And two pilots were st are still alive, yeah, both 99, 99 mm -hmm. with all their um, acute yeah. sense of memory. Mm -hmm. and Yeah, that was what was really special, mm -hmm. you know, that, uh, that she was able to talk to them and, you know, and acknowledge that uh, this happened. Uh, it was really interesting. So that was the other thing that was um, a little unexpected yes. for us. And uh, we have Pancake Days coming up next week. Yes, this is, I believe, the 50th year. 50th year, yeah. And um, so the whole community, uh, a lot of the community comes out to help. And uh, tons and tons and tons of people come out to eat, but they... They have lines most of the day, but they move people through really fast, and it's a lot of fun to just stand in line and talk to people. They and do it the last two Sundays in October. Yeah, so it'll be this coming Sunday and the following. From 7 in the morning till 7 at night. Yeah. Of course, I'm always working, but we look forward to oh, yeah. having somebody goes and picks up orders, and you've never seen eight, nine people sit and just scarf those pancakes and you know what they do here they put sausage gravy on their pancakes oh, yeah. if you want it I had never heard of such but <laughs> now I'm now I'm a fan yeah. as long as I have a little maple syrup on the side yeah, absolutely yes. and my favorite thing about it's the sausage I eat it only once a year and that's when is they make the best sausage they do yeah but it is. It's, it's quite a treat. I can't remember what the price is nowadays. No, it's, it's reasonable. It's under yeah. $10. Yeah, yeah. It, it's quite uh, reasonable. And, and people just enjoy it. It's, it's part of the tradition of coming to the mountains. And um, politicians sometimes come and help. Yeah, and yeah. They actually there's post. thousands of people. Yeah, yeah. So um, definitely come see the leaves and eat pancakes and meet the locals and have a good time. Yes. But you're going to read us a story. Yeah, well, since the fiber theme, I yeah. thought, well, I'd pick a, a just a little short story. It's actually from a book that my friend Gwen Clark gave me for Christmas called The Dreaded Feast, mm -hmm. Writers on Enduring the Holidays. 
Christmas. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this one's called A Fruitcake Theory by Calvin Trillin. This was the year I was going to be nice about fruitcake. Just try to be nice, my wife said. My younger daughter, the one who is still in high school and talks funny, said the same thing. Actually, what she said was, Cool it, Pops. Take a chill on the fruitcake issue. That's the same thing. They were right. I knew they were right. It's not that I hadn't tried to be nice before. It's not my fault that some years ago I happened to pass along a theory about fruitcake I had heard from someone in Denver. The theory was that there is only one fruitcake and that this fruitcake is simply sent on from year to year. It's just a theory. But every year around this time, someone calls up and says something like, I'm doing a story on people who make fun of the holiday symbols that so many Americans hold dear. Symbols that do so much for warm family life in this great country of ours and remain so very meaningful to all decent people. You're the one who maligns fruitcake, right? Well, it's just a theory, I always mutter. Something someone in Denver said once. Who in Denver? Well, I can't remember. I'm always hearing theories from people in Denver. People in Denver are stinky with theories. I don't know why. It may be because of the altitude, though that's just a theory. Anyway, I can't be expected to remember the name of every single person in Denver who ever laid a theory on me. I've had people in Denver tell me that if you play a certain Rolling Stones record backward, you can get detailed instructions on how to dismantle a 1977 Volkswagen Rabbit. A man I once met in a bar in Denver told me that the gases produced by the drying of all these sun-dried tomatoes were causing the earth to wobble on its axis in a way that will put every pool table in the Western Hemisphere nearly a bubble off level by the end of this century. Don't get me started on people in Denver and their theories. <laughs> the point is, is that nobody ed ever interviews the person who gave me the theory about fruitcake because nobody wants to start picking through this gaggle of theory mongers in Denver to find him. So I was the one called up this year by someone who said he was doing a piece about a number of Scrooge-like creatures who seemed to derive sadistic pleasure out of trashing some of our most treasured American holiday traditions. Well, come right over, I said. It's always nice to be included. He said he'd catch me the next afternoon, just after he finished interviewing a guy who never passes a Salvation Army Santa Claus without saying, Hiya, lard gut. When he arrived, I remembered that I was going to try to take a chill on the fruitcake issue. I told him that the theory about there being only one fruitcake actually came from somebody in Denver, maybe the same guy who talked to me at length about his theory that dinosaurs became extinct 
because they couldn't adapt to the personal income tax. Then, trying for a little historical perspective, I told him about a family in Michigan I once read about that brings out an antique fruitcake every Christmas. A fruitcake that for some reason was not eaten at Christmas dinner in 1895 and has symbolized the holidays ever since. They put it on the table, not as dessert, but as something between an icon and a centerpiece. It's a very sensible way to use a fruitcake, I said. I was trying to be nice. You mean you think that fruitcake would be dangerous to eat, he asked. Well, you wouldn't eat an antique, I said. My Uncle Ralph used to chew on an old sideboard now and then, but we always considered it odd behavior. Would a fruitcake that isn't an antique be dangerous? You mean a reproduction? I mean a modern fruitcake. There's nothing dangerous about fruitcakes as long as people send them along without eating them, I said, in the nicest sort of way. If people ever started eating them, I suppose there might be a need for federal legislation. How about people who buy fruitcakes for themselves, he asked. Well, now that you mention it, I said, nobody in the history of the United States has ever bought a fruitcake for himself. People have bought turnips for themselves. People have bought any number of Brussels sprouts for themselves. But no one has ever bought a fruitcake for himself. That does tell you a little something about fruitcakes. Are you saying that everybody secretly hates fruitcake, he asked? Well, it's just a theory. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, that book is full of tales like that. Yeah, right. The Dreaded Feast, Writers on Enduring the Holidays. And they have people like Dave Barry and Roy Blount, J Blount Jr. And um, just all kinds of people. David Sedaris stories. So, yeah, it's fun. It's we a will, lot of fun. We will definitely do a link to that. Book. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great one. All right, so I guess we probably ought to start thinking about winding things up. Well, um, you can find um, the show notes at www.quincepodcast.com. We are also on iTunes uh, under. Um, at least I think we're on iTunes. I need to check and make absolutely sure. But if you look for us under Beth Ford or Leslie Sheeler. Uh, it's a little easier to find us that way rather than under Quince because there's episodes called Quince for some reason. Oh, but we are on Facebook, and but, that's and an we're also easy on link. Facebook. Yeah, I always put a link there. And uh, what is our word of the day for next time? Shall we let our listeners pet choose one? Sure, and we'll surprise everyone. Yeah, but uh, if if no one chooses one, because um, we probably don't, we probably have a couple of hundred listeners. I don't really know exactly how many listeners we do have, but uh, if no one chooses one, we will choose one. Okay. And uh, other than that, uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. All right. Good night. Thanks, everybody.